and you finally get to the top and you think, oh man, I finally made it. And you look across the valley and you can see seven more peaks, just like the one you climbed. And you know, you have to cross those in that same day. Yeah, you're kind of wondering, you know, <laughs> was this the best decision ever? Or, you know, <laughs> maybe I should have routed and took some time to do a little better routing. This is the Adventure Sports Podcast, brought to you by 180TAC. Get out there and have some fun. Episode 132, Cycle Touring Around the World with Greg Valenzuela. Welcome back to another episode of the Adventure Sports Podcast. This is your host, Travis Parsons. On the line with me today is Greg Valenzuela. Greg is also known as the Starving Cyclist because Greg has been pedaling since April 20th, 2012. And over three and a half years, he's covered more than 37,000 miles through North America, Central America, New Zealand, and Eastern Asia. Today, we catch up with Greg down at the bottom of the world in Tierra del Fuego. Greg, welcome. Thanks, Travis. Thanks for having me on. Good to have you. So I've been trying to catch up with you to do this, and I want to hear all about uh, this riding. You know, like I said, that over three and a half years you've been pedaling a bicycle, 37,000 miles. I mean, that's nearly one and a half times around the globe. What what set you off on, on pedaling this much? You know, uh, it was – I've been pedaling – I've been touring for uh, – shoot – probably 10 to 12 years before this trip. And um, it was really, I was really inspired by other people that were touring around the world. And it was kind of opportunity dropped where um, I, I, you know, I really had the opportunity to, to try such a feat as well. And the more I uh, researched some of the ways to be sustainable by traveling by bicycle, more of the pieces of the puzzle kind of fell together and next thing I know, I was uh, out there cycling, doing it just like everybody else. So is it kind of because you realized you could really do this inexpensively and, and be out there day to day, just enjoying life on a bike instead of working, uh, you know, the, the eight, nine, 10 hour grind like everybody else? Yeah, that's really it. You know, I really found, you know, uh, I was kind of following everyone else's uh, pedal path, so to speak. And, and, uh, um, I just thought, wow, this is something I could do as well. And if there's a possible way that I could pedal around the world, uh, um, I think that that was something I definitely wanted to do. Um, in, in, in quite honesty, I really wasn't sure what was going to happen. You know, you get started off and you have big dreams. Um, but um, I'm, I'm really just kind of uh, shocked a little bit, too, that I've uh, made it this far. <laughs> it's kind of the the one day at a time approach, huh? <laughs> yeah, you know, I think that's the way it kind of starts. You know, you kind of have to, uh, you know, you have to kind of just uh, take one step at a time and, and just see how it's going to go for you and really find out if it's going to be something that, you know, you're going to be interested in doing year round. And um, I'm finding it um, no other, I, I really can't, you know, see me doing anything else now. 
So why a bicycle? It sounds like you were, you were kind of an avid bicyclist uh, prior to this. Um, how did you end up getting started in riding long distances in the first place? Um, it's, it's kind of a, a little bit of a long story, but I, I was working uh, with my coworkers and I had gotten a new bike. And I kind of went around to uh, the group and I said, hey, I wanted to get uh, a little group together where we could go uh, mountain biking or cycling on the weekends. And and they were all up for it. They were like, yeah, sure. It sounds like a good idea. And little did I know that the, the gentlemen I was speaking with were already avid bicycle tourists. So when I had showed up for the ride, they were all equipped with full loaded touring bikes and and that's how it started there i was the newbie and they kind of took me underneath my wing and off we went you found kind of a, a mentorship in those guys that's probably a, a good way to start out tell me about your equipment i mean what kind of bike do you use doing this i mean obviously you have mountain bikes and racing bikes and i imagine there's some touring bikes out there so what is it you're using what have you found the the best setup um, I'm, I'm using a classic mountain bike. Um, so it's basically a, a um, a, a Cannondale M 700 and, um, with 26 inch wheels and I push a, a two inch tire. So it's definitely set up for mountain, uh, uh, originally for mountain bike riding and, uh, having an expedition type of touring in mind, I thought really this would be the perfect deal for me. Um, a skinny tire and, uh, a large touring frame wasn't exactly what I wanted. I wanted something more for the expedition. And and this has really turned out to be a really good decision. And um, so I was just kind of following the footpaths of uh, other expedition cyclists and seeing what they were running. And uh, so I started loading racks. And at the very beginning, you know, I didn't have all the fancy gear. I, you know, I started with a big, my big sleeping bag and tied it on the back. And I think when I first started, I only had one pannier and you know, I'd stuff a full of food. And, and, and so at the beginning, I, I really had just limited touring gear whatsoever, but um, it didn't stop me. You know, I was following everyone else and, and uh, we would uh, take these weekend trips out to the coast, which is about uh, 60 miles from where we lived. And that's really how we got started is that we would leave uh, at the end of the work week on Saturday morning and we'd ride out uh, with through different routes and different times we'd go and we'd ride out to the coast and camp. And then the next morning on Sunday morning, end up riding back home and then boom, back to work. And, you know, that's really how I got started touring was just the weekend warrior. And, um, that went on for quite a while before I really got anything you know, larger, like week long trips. Yeah, that's the way to do it. I mean, the whole point of our show is to try and to inspire people who are working the the grind, you know, the the nine to five every day of the week and just kind of sitting in traffic or their office cubicle, just thinking, man, I want to get out. You know, as soon as Friday rolls around, I'm gone. I'm going to go do yeah. something cool over the weekend. So I like that you bring that up because that's exactly what we're shooting for. So you're from yeah, you California. A lot of your, your riding career has been in California, right? It has. I've done extensive riding in California, and uh, it is a incredible place to tour. There is a lot to see there, and it just offers everything. California, you know, having 18 different microclimates um, offers everything for the bicycle tourist, you know, from huge mountains, uh, ranges through um, Eastern Sierra Bypass to beautiful coastal roads to uh, Death Valley, you know, desert riding and um 
on and on and on. It just will offer everything to the bicycle tourist. So it was really a really convenient way to, for me to get the bicycle touring bug, you know, it offered everything and uh, I was just hooked, you know, before I knew it, all my friends I started touring with were kind of, you know, getting married and having babies and, and next thing I know, I was out there by myself and all it did was open up, you know, really open up my freedom instead of even being on someone else's schedule. I was making my own schedule and, uh, and, and spending longer, you know, doing longer trips. And, um, and that's when I really knew that it was something for me. You know, I, I just, during the work week, all I could think about is where I'd be going that, you know, that weekend and I'd be talking with my boss and, you know, other coworkers and they're like, you know, yeah, we seen you out on the coast or we, you know, we seen you here, we seen you there. And, you know, so whatever, everybody would be, you know, asking me where I'd be gone each weekend. And, you know, it really turned out to just, uh, turned out to a wonderful thing for me. It just it ate up all my free time, but it, you know, I wouldn't choose anything else. It was exactly what I wanted to be doing. Yeah, that's great. I can relate to the, to the idea of being out there by yourself. I do a lot of motorcycle riding and long distance touring. And as much as I love to ride with a riding buddy or, uh, you know, maybe two people, um, getting out there by yourself just adds a whole new element to it. I mean, being able to start in the morning when you want to start, whether it's early or later that day or end when you want to end or, you know, go here and explore this, uh, this path somewhere. It's just, uh, being able to make all those choices on your own and not have to have a committee, uh, <laughs> meeting to, uh, to decide which way you're going and when you're doing it is, uh, there's something to be said for that for sure. Yeah. I think it's really the, just the incredible freedom that you get, you know, it's really the sense of doing whatever, taking whatever turn, you know, it's good to have structure and know where you're going and, know where the campground is and know where you're going to have to get supplies before the campground or after what have you. But, um, just out there being by yourself, taking turn by turn, or even being able to make a decision of uh, rerouting or wanting to stop to take a bunch of photos. You're not relying on catching up with other folks or, or whatever. Um, yeah, I, you know, I meet a lot of other cyclists on the road, of course, and they say, you know, a lot of the same things. It's great with, you know, having company and touring with company, but it's also just as rewarding going by yourself. Right, right. So 37,000 miles, does it ever just strike you, you know, while you're riding along one day and just think, holy cow, 37,000 miles. I mean, does it, you know, are you know, just used to it at this point or? I, I guess I kind of am in a way, you know, I, you know, if you kind of break it down, it's only like a thousand miles a month and so that's only like 250 miles a week so it's not that you know out of the view or out of the realm of uh, really making it happen you know for the average person even uh, um, that it's very doable deal and uh, you just do what you can you know it's yeah you know it's hard to reflect still you know I don't think it really has sunken in completely 37,000 miles I tell people that and but it's, you know, it doesn't seem like that great of a feat to me, you know, because you're only just doing what you can. You're only doing, you know, a few hundred miles a week. And, and if you really kind of break it down, it's a very doable deal. If you only did 50 miles a day and took a day off, you're still keeping right up with me. And, and a lot of cycle tourists, they do much more. They do much more miles and are, are much quicker than I am and, um, they have nicer equipment and, you know, they, they look in much better shape than I do. 
but the good news is that uh, even someone like me can do it and um, somebody that's not in perfect shape and someone who doesn't have the perfect gear, um, I'm right with them. You know, um, it might be a little slower, but guess what? You know, when they're sitting on the couch, sitting at home, I'm still out there pedaling. <laughs> and uh and still enjoying it and uh and uh, still climbing the mountain <laughs> while they're uh might be relaxing but you know yeah no it's it's still a lot to take in and um i i think at some point it'll all it'll all come crashing down on me but the reality right now for me is that it's it's you know just kind of a normal deal it doesn't really seem like much of a feat to me i you know, I really enjoy the the places I get to see and the beauty and the culture and and truly what you find out with bicycle touring. It's not necessarily the destination, or even my or the journey. It's truly the people that you meet along the way, and and that's the the true reward that you get. Yeah, I think that's what it's all about. Well, I want to get into the to some of the people you've met along the way. But before we do that, I want to talk about, or I should say, I want to talk to the everyday average Joe, like you mentioned, because again, part of this show is to inspire people that they might be thinking, you know, that's a lot of miles, it's a lot of distance, a lot of time. I could never do that. What words would you have for those people uh, of encouragement? You know that that you can do it. You know, you're, you're, you're no different from anybody else. Yeah, that it's, it's, that's really an easy one for me because, um, because it is very doable and you hear that from every adventurer, you know, or whatever that, Hey, if I could do it, you can do it. And it's the kind of the cliche, but the really the truth is, is that, um, it's very, very obtainable that all you have to do is have the will um, like I had mentioned at the, you know, uh, prior that I didn't have the best equipment when I started, basically I had no equipment. I, if I remember correctly, when I first started, I didn't even have a front brake, And, and so it doesn't take all the nicest gear uh, or the clothing. Um, really it just takes the will. And, and if you haven't have the, the, you know, the hundred percent go for it will quite yet, if you're still kind of unsure, believe me. It won't take long. Uh, it won't take more than a couple trips or a few days before you realize that um, that this is something that's a very incredible experience. That um, that truly anybody can do it because you get to go at your own pace. It's not a race. It's not you know the mountain bike race or the road race that most folks are used to. This is a very different thing. And so you can ride 10 miles and stop and then ride another 10 miles and stop and then have lunch and then ride another 20 miles. And before you know it, you're 50 miles down the road and you're at your campsite and you really all kind of did was kind of put around. You know, you went to the beach, you went to the mountain, you um, you just kind of hopped around and, and was taking breaks every five, 10 miles. And next thing you know, you, you know, you're at your destination. So point being, it's. You know, anybody can do that. Most people that ride bicycles do that anyway. They ride down to the store or they ride to the beach or down to Starbucks or or whatever, you know, whatever is working for them. And they just don't realize that, hey, what you're doing is what I'm doing. You know, I, I'm just spending a few more hours in the saddle and with the motivation and the uh, and uh, and the, the reward that you get from cycling uh, it's easy to do. And the more beautiful areas that you pick, um, the less, 
the less uh, burdensome that it, you know, it is, you know, even on the biggest mountains ranges that I've climbed um, seem like the easiest because they're the most beautiful. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's a very, very doable thing. You don't have to have the best equipment. All you need to do is have the will and you can do it. For 20 years, Bent Gate Mountaineering has been outfitting climbers, skiers, backpackers, and outdoor enthusiasts with the gear they need. Whether climbing an 8,000-meter peak or buying your first backcountry ski setup, Bent Gate is here to help. Bent Gate is continuing to offer free BC 101 sessions this winter, teaching backcountry ski boot and binding setup, avi safety and beacon practice, clothing systems, and tips and tricks to make your days more enjoyable. If you don't own the gear, Bent Gate offers a full range of rental and demo equipment. Bent Gate also has free demo ski days at local resorts to give you a chance for hands-on experience. Be sure to check bentgate.com for our full product selection as well as updates on all these events. The Bearline Plus by 180 Tech is the handiest Bearline utility cord system you can find. This is not your typical Bearline. Our lightweight cord system is designed to be compact, lightweight, frictionless, and very versatile. Don't risk losing your dinner. Hang it the right way. The Bearline Plus is designed to suspend food between two trees up to 40 feet apart and 15 feet above the ground with much less effort than other Bearlines. Not only does the Bearline Plus keep your food away from bears, it is designed to be useful for many other needs including a motorcycle and ATV recovery system, tie-downs, straps, backpack repair, guy lines for tarp or tent, a tow line, block and tackle, and much, much more. Find your Bearline Plus at 180tech.com or retailers near you. So basically, your advice would probably be start simple, start small, take a, an overnight or, or just a long day trip, and, and don't worry so much about the equipment you're on. Just go do it and, and see if it's for you. And it sounds like you would, you would uh, your opinion is pretty much get anybody hooked if they just go and try. It just, that's just, I mean, if you're thinking about it and then you're already there, you know, if it's something that you're interested in and then you've already obtained it uh, because the, the, uh, uh, the reward that you'll get from cyclotorian will get you back out there. You know, it's you know, it's like the uh, um, being bitten by the bug, by the traveling bug, or or you know, the cycling bug. Everyone has their little their little niche, and um, yeah, it's all I can say to people is that if you have any interest whatsoever, um, yeah, take short uh, shorter trips. Don't try a thirty-seven thousand mile trip. Um, it's not going to what you, it's not what you want to do, you know, um, take the weekend trip. I think we were starting with like 40 miles and, um, we'd have beautiful coastal wine, scenic roads. And, and, uh, then we'd go to a beautiful campsite at the coast and camp. And, you know, after working on your bike all day out in the sun, you know, the food, you're barbecuing and you're, you're camping and you're, you know, socializing with friends and, and, you know, the food tastes better. The air is a little cleaner. The shower is just get, gets your body just a little cleaner, you know, and, and it's all the things that you do that 
uh, people are familiar familiar with when they work out, you know, and and so you get that, and uh, and so that's kind of the hook at the beginning is like, man, this is great, you know, you're you're camping, you get all of it, you get the adventure, you get the open air, you get the sunshine, um, and uh, you you get socializing, and then when you're at camp. You're just extremely approachable. Every camper wants to know your story. They want to know where you're coming from, where you're going, how much weight you're carrying, you know, all the all the big questions because they it just drops down the walls when it comes to communication with other people. I can't tell you how many times a day um, I get approached by by strangers and they want to know every personal detail of my life. They want to know where I camped last night, where am I going tomorrow, how many miles I put on, what countries I've been through. It really just truly drops the wall when it comes to communication with people. And the example that I get is that that, that would be very unlikely if we both pulled up in a vehicle at a campground. More likely we'd maybe wave at each other, but um, they would never walk into your campground and start asking every personal question. And and that is the reward is that these people just drop the wall. They're not afraid of you. And you, before you know it, you've made a friend. They're shaking your hand. They want to you know keep in contact with you. They want to... You know, they want advice from you and and then they have advice about places that they may have been or they have friends that cycle tour and and next thing you know, you're making a friend. And and it's just a a really great reward, you know, uh, being able to get out on your bike and and really get to share your experience. Yeah, absolutely. I hear that a lot, actually, in the, uh, you know, the the part about being approachable and there's really, I mean, maybe the only other way you're more approachable is if you're walking around the world. I mean, but you're on a bike, you're, you're just out there in the elements with the people and, and your equipment is not intimidating to anybody, no matter what part of the world you're in, you're just that guy on the bike, you know, I think that's awesome. I find it really incredible because most of the time you get to camp, you're not necessarily uh, showered properly, (laughs) you know, (laughs) You're normally kind of rugged and, and uh, you know, you've been through a hot, sweaty mountain day and, and people really, uh, they don't care. They, they want to meet you and, and it just shows the, the uh, you know, the, um, the, you know, this shows the aspect of them, uh, of the approachability that you have, you know, once you arrive by bicycle um, and the communication that opens up. It's just really incredible. Right, right. So let's dig in a little bit to the the day by day element of it. Imagine you know sitting here listening to to you and thinking, well, you know that's all great, but what does this cost me? You know, it certainly it has to cost something, and I'm not a millionaire. So, what is it that somebody could kind of expect? You know, that be on a bicycle. Obviously, I assume you can do a lot of camping and and you know fend for yourself. But do you have a daily budget, or how does that work? You know, it does vary. And it's, of course, one of the big questions I get. And, you know, it's how do you finance yourself and what does it cost? And, um, you know, it's kind of hence the starving cyclist. I started this trip with the savings and I knew at some point, you know, I was going to run out of money. Um, But I'd never had any attention of even thinking about stopping, you know, once that happened. Um, And really, when it comes to budget, it comes it really depends where you're at. And what, how, what kind of traveling by bicycle you want to do. There's a few different types, as I'm sure you're aware of. Um, some people call a certain type of travel uh, credit card travel, where their bike's uh, lightly loaded. And they'll go from one hostel or from one hotel or motel to the next. And so that could be a little bit more pricey compared to what I do. I carry 
I'm all self-contained with complete camping gear and cooking gear. So it's it's really how you set yourself up. If you're going to cook for yourself, if you're going to camp, and obviously the cost is going to be much lower than if you're in a hostel every night or if you're in a motel every night. Um, and so I would say the average of traveling in the United States per day would be uh, maybe about 20 bucks, $25 a night if you're camping and cooking for yourself. And if you want to, you know, obviously go out and have a pizza and a beer, um, and then you just add that cost to that total. Um, but it, it could go, it just depends what you want. You can bounce it around and do a couple uh, hotels uh, a week and then camp the rest and really kind of budget it out. Um, in all honesty, you know, my budget is all over the ballpark that um, I don't have a set number of how, what my daily budget is. Um, so it kind of varies. Um, in Asia, rooms are very cheap. You could get into a room for $8 a night and feed yourself for $2 a night. And, and it's, uh, you know, you're living like a king. Um, where obviously in America, it's a little more expensive. And in New Zealand, even more expensive. Um, so it's all really what you want. You could do it for $10 a day and you can spend as much as 100 so ideally, if you're on a budget, just go to Asia and do laps around there, right? <laughs> no, you could definitely be sustainable anywhere. Um, you know, I'm in uh, Ushuaia in Argentina at the end of the world, so it's a kind of a touristy spot. And um, I'm cooking for myself, and I'm at a hostel tonight because it's been snowing for the last few days, and I just kind of wanted to kind of dry out a little bit. And uh, the hostel's really accommodating. It's only $10 a night, and I spend about – about the same in food for the day. So it's about $20 a day is what I'm spending right now. And when it comes to flight cost, it only costs, it was only about $800 from Los Angeles to Ushuaia to the end of Argentina. So if you do some shopping, um, you know, airline shopping, you can really make it happen. You know, it's just about uh, little tricks of the trade of traveling trade. And I was just talking to another traveler today and uh, part of what they do is they get a credit card and they they use their credit card to earn uh, flight miles, airline miles. And this guy, he had like 40,000 airline miles accumulated uh, within a few months. And so there's little tricks to travel, you know, and you can use some of those aspects to really, really help you in the long run on the road. Yeah, absolutely. If you're going to spend the money out there on the road anyway, why not take some of the advantage of those benefits and, and extend it that way? Absolutely. And, and the longer that you travel, then the more those benefits will help you. Right, right. So let's talk about where you've been in the world so far and why you're down in Ushuaia and where you're going from there. So around the world, um, where is it you have pedaled through so far? Okay. Um, I started in Los Angeles uh, April 20th of 2012, and I did a perimeter loop of the United States. So I went from L.A. to the uh, the Canadian border in Washington, and then I went all the way to Washington, D.C., uh, across the United States, and then uh, down into Florida, and then all the way back on the southern tier across the states again into L.A., where I end up uh, riding into Mexico and then Guatemala and El Salvador and Honduras and Guatemala and then into Nicaragua, where basically my bike kind of fell apart. And with a thousand other excuses, uh, rainy season was starting. I end up flying back to L.A. 
and I did another Northwestern loop. So I did a bunch of uh, state parks like Yellowstone and the Grand Tetons and Glacier National and just saw a bunch of parks that I didn't get to hit on my perimeter loop. And then I flew to uh, Asia. I flew to Thailand. And so it was Thailand, Laos, Vietnam, Cambodia, back into Thailand for two months. I had a double entry visa and then uh, parts of Malaysia. And then I flew to New Zealand and then I spent three months in New Zealand on both islands and then uh, Hawaii and then back in the States, back in the States, do more writing. And I ended up doing a lot of stuff that I didn't do on those other two loops I did. I did uh, a lot of the East Coast this time and uh, Maine and New Hampshire and Vermont and New York and um, on and on and on. Um, just seeing a bunch of things I didn't get to see before. And then, um, then boom, I, I fly to, uh, I, I flew to, um, to Ushuaia here in uh, Argentina. And uh, kind of the reasoning behind it is the research I'd done uh, about South America is I wanted to hit the proper uh, direction when it comes to prevailing winds. You know, a lot of people will, you know, do north to south, and you'll read a lot of journals, a lot of articles, why people do that. And, and, uh, but I really wanted to have some kind of tailwind. I didn't want to come completely through South America with a headwind. And that was really just, uh, you know, my, my justification of doing that. I just uh, wanted to plan my trip through South America, um, as, uh, as efficiently as I could. Yeah. That makes and a lot of sense. I guess from here, my plan is, um, when I finally do leave here, uh, it will be, I'm heading into Chile and then Bolivia, and then Peru, Ecuador, Colombia, and then into Panama. And then um, at that point, I want to fly to Iceland, Scotland, Ireland, and then I'll be uh, pointing towards Europe, which will be Norway, uh, south through uh, Western Europe to Sicily, and then north through Eastern Europe to Poland, and then I'll be coming across Central Asia, you know, uh, Romania, Czech Republic, Turkey, Pakistan, Kazakhstan, Kyrgyzstan, and I'll be pointing towards Nepal, uh, which is a really big uh, point on my bucket list, so to speak. And uh, and then depending on my weather window, I'd really, really want to get into Mongolia and, and, and dip into China. Um, but if my weather window says something different, and then I'm going to be going into uh, northern India, into the Jammu Kashmir area, which I have a bunch of interest. There's like 17,000 foot peaks there and um, just some epic, you know, riding. And uh, really after that, I don't have much planned, but. Um, <laughs> I so, know you didn't mean that as a joke, but, <laughs> but I'm sitting know. here following you around on the map as you're talking and. And I'm going to, I'm going to throw you under the bus here a little bit, okay. <laughs> just in a, a funny manner. But, um, I want to be candid when I was first talking to you, you were a little concerned that you didn't have much to say about adventure. And we had that conversation. I said, you know, the people I like to talk to are the ones that are the everyday guy out there doing something really cool that we can all relate to. But when you just, when you sat there and told me about every place you've gone and every place you plan on going, I'm zigzagging across the map like crazy, just 
in mm-hmm. awe, you know, imagining what it is you must see out there at the speed of a bicycle, spending your life out in, in all these different parts of the world and the society you must see. So I, I, I hope I don't, uh, hope it's not embarrassing that I say that, but you have a lot to talk about. And I think your story is amazing. Well, I'm glad you think so. And I, you know, I do remember that conversation. I just, you know, I don't want to bore, bore your listeners. And I just feel that, uh, you know, in reflection, I, I have seen some incredible stuff, you know, and just within the last few days here in Terra de Fuego, I'm out in the park, you know, in the most southern part of the tip of the world with it's snowing and it's huge clear rivers are running through this park and um, really just some of the most amazing things I've ever I've ever seen. But I really have to say, I kind of say that everywhere I go. Everywhere I'm at, I'm like, oh, this is the most beautiful you know place I've ever been. And I, I really feel fortunate for that because I feel like, you know, wherever I'm at is the place to be. And and I think that's some of the gift that I got that, you know, I'm not always looking ahead. I'm not always wishing that I was somewhere else that I really do appreciate the areas that I'm in. And, and when it comes to looking through in the future and looking at all these other countries, you know, I, I still have to tackle those. They haven't been done yet. And um and so I talk a big game, but we'll really see how much more I get done. And even though I got a good start, you know, I, I still have a bit to go. Well, I think your track record so far uh, pretty much indicates that whatever you set your mind to, you're going to go out and see. So I don't think you should be worried about that part of it. <laughs> <laughs> it's been it's been great. And uh, it's just uh, it's been life changing and for the better, for sure. Uh, I imagine. Are you curious about long-distance hiking? Do you want to learn more? Check out Through Hiking 101, a six-week online course created by Adventure Sports Podcast guest long-distance hiker Liz Thomas in Backpacker Magazine. You'll receive videos, stories, budget, food, and gear worksheets, a webinar, and personalized attention as you plan your trip of a lifetime. Go to www.tinyurl.com slash thruhiking101 or Google Through Hiking 101 at Adventure University. Slow Boat to the Bahamas is a funny look at getting the sailing bug, preparing for, and going on the big trip with a four-year-old and a four-pound dog. Linus Wilson recounts how his family sailed from New Orleans to the Bahamas in 2015. In its first week, Slow Boat to the Bahamas Kindle version was the number one bestseller in all three of its categories, sailing narratives, Bahamas, and cruises. And as you can tell from the podcast we had with Linus, this book's gotta be a hoot. Pick up your copy today. So you say every place you are is just the place you need to be at that moment. And I I totally get what you're saying. Is there a place that you could say, you know what, if I had to rank these things, this one is at the top of my list, a place that you rode through that just blew you away? Yeah, it's where, it's right where I'm at now. <laughs> really? Yeah, it, it's you know this most southern part of Argentina. Um, incredible, incredible, incredible. The Andes, and of course, I get the got the peek out the airplane window and look down over the Andes as I as I came in, and um, I, I haven't seen anything more incredible than where I'm at now. Just amazing. 
Man, that's cool. You're painting a good picture. You're making me want to get out there. And that's the the neat thing about how you're doing it. Like I said, I you know, I ride motorcycles a lot and the danger of that or you know, danger of any kind of motorized vehicle is that you can accidentally slip through places a little bit too quickly without looking up, you know, and you know, if you're on a bicycle, you're locked into that speed. I'd imagine I mean, imagine you have your moments where you, you're just kind of keeping your head down, grunting through the day because all days probably aren't, you know, the best, but right. it, that speed forces you to, to look around, I would imagine. It definitely does. And, and yeah, not all days are glamorous. You know, it's not always, you know, a wonderful glamorous trip every day that you're out here. There's very, very tough elements and you're, you're truly in, you know, some of the most the harshest terror of the world with the toughest weather and you're you know you're sleeping in jungles where it's extremely humid and being bitten by bugs and being chased by snakes and you know it, it just depends where you're at of course but you, it's not every day is glamorous but it really that there's very few days i i regret out here um even the one even the toughest ones right so how about a story about one of those grueling days, one of those where you thought, you know what, what in the world am I doing out here? This is not not how I imagined it. You know, um, boy, okay. Uh, you definitely get those days. It'd probably be the, you know, the days that it's um, extremely hot. You're, you're forced to camp in your tent, like in the jungles of Cambodia. Um, I, was, I was camping at... Um, uh, temples and uh, Buddhist temples because there's really no other place to go in some parts of the jungle. There's just nothing else out there. And you get into these jungles and it's so hot. You're being bitten by mosquitoes. You have snakes that are sleeping underneath your tent. You're, um, you know, it's, you, you know, I, I remember just not being able to sleep and being so hot. I'm pouring down sweat. I haven't took a shower in a week. Um, I'm out of food. Um, and, and some areas are not necessarily perfectly safe. Um, so you have that on your mind as well. So, you know, those are probably some of the days that I can remember uh, just being in the jungle where it's so hot, you can't sleep in your tent. Um, and, and those really make it tough. You know, you can, you definitely need your sleep when you're, you know, pounding up huge mountain ranges all day. And I'm not just talking hills. Uh, I'm talking mountains. And when you get to the top of a mountain and you've been climbing that mountain for three or four hours and you finally get to the top and you think, oh, man, I finally made it. And you look across the valley and you can see seven more peaks just like the one you climbed. And you know you have to cross those in that same day. Now you're kind of wondering, you know, <laughs> was this the best decision ever? Or, you know, <laughs> maybe I should have routed and took some time to do a little better routing. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. <laughs> Maybe a little bit more planning next time. <laughs> That's yeah, part of the adventure, though, man. That's the good stuff. For sure. But you kind of tell yourself, you know, maybe, you know, I'm smarter in this. You know, you kind of you know, talk yourself into to uh, maybe making your next leg a little bit more structured. Right, right. Well, the feeling of knowing that you'll you'll plow through that, you know, may not be the, the highlight of your trip, but you'll plow through it. You get to the other side and you'll be able to look back and talk to some fool on a podcast and tell him how cool it was and how grueling it was, but you survived Oh, you're it, far right? from the fool, Travis. <laughs> you're far from that. I'll, but, I'll send uh, you a check. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just waiting for you once to cross paths out here sometimes. That would be great. <laughs> 
No, we're gonna do it. We're gonna. Do it. I may be on a motorcycle when we do it. I have to slow down for you. But. Oh, that's fine. I meet, I meet lots of great folks on cycle, uh, motorcycles as well, and I always tell people that you know I want to cycle as long as I can. And my my original goal is to cycle until I'm 70 years old. Uh, until I met a gentleman uh, uh, pedaling through Nebraska. He, he was 75 years old, a German guy. And he was on his second time around the world on a bicycle. Wow. And, and I just, at that point, it, it, you know, those are the people that inspire me. And when I had, after I met that guy, I'm just like, hey, man, you know, there's, it's, you only go to stop when you, when you want to stop. If you keep moving, you can go really as long as you, as you feel you, you want to. Yeah, absolutely. That's got to give you hope. You're like, man, I was thinking about quitting at 70. I'm right. going to 100 now. Right. He, he was incredible. He was an incredible little guy and had, of course, just, you know, great stories and uh, just very inspiring. Very, very cool cat. Uh, that's cool. I have to track that guy down. Yeah, I so, hear you. I love people stories. Um, one of the best things that comes out of, of what you're doing you know, when we get out there and, and put ourselves out in the world is the people that we meet. Um, you kind of, you kind of ruined my thunder there and told me about this seven year old, uh, pedaling across Nebraska, but there must be another good one that you could share with us about somebody you met that just really blew you away or inspired you or. I think it's, you know, it was the average person actually. It wasn't, it wasn't an, uh, a, a big expedition or adventure person that I remember. It was, it's a person that you least expect that can touch you the most is what I found. And, and for me, it was this, I was in, um, oh gosh, I was in El Salvador and it was a bit of a dodgy area, you know, so to speak that, you know, you kind of had to be very careful traveling by yourself in some areas of the world. And, and so I was kind of in top alert. And what I had done is I checked into a room and I, I went out to the, to the town to get some dinner and get some food. And I was just, I was kind of scared, you know, and, I don't get scared very often, but I was kind of on, you know, on alert, you know, just to make sure I was going to be safe. And it was funny that this guy approached me and I'm thinking, oh, no, you know, what's this going to be about? And I think he really sensed that I was kind of scared. And he, he approached me and I was like, you know, what what's going to happen here? And he he kind of tickled me on my stomach. And then when I when I went to drop my arm, like, hey, what's going on? He kind of tickled me on my shoulder and I looked and he smiled and really it was the message that he was giving me. It was like, hey, relax. You know, you're smile. You know what I mean? You're you're in good hands. And that he just kind of talked me down from the worry, the worrisome that I had on my face. And it was something I, I will never forget. It was just really the good people, the the great genuine smile of someone really sensing without us communicating verbally at all that he really knew a way just to make me feel comfortable in the town. And it was, it was, it was truly, truly something I'll never forget. It was just, um, a foreigner's way to, uh, welcome, welcome me and, and let me know, Hey man, it, it's, you're okay. It's good here. Man, that is so cool. That's exactly the, what I was looking for. I love those stories. And, you know, I got to imagine we see so much and hear so much bad about the the world and how bad people are, are and what bad people are doing on the news. And for you to be able to get out there and experience that person, that story that you just relayed to me has to just wash all of that away completely. I mean, it seems like everybody needs to be able to get out and involve themselves in that just to, to be able to handle it. 
it's really it's really something I'll, I won't forget. And yeah, it, it really taught me a lesson as well. And it, it also taught me that you know even though uh, I wasn't in perfect communication uh, because obviously I don't know 15 languages. Um, it was. It just showed me that people are genuinely um, equal. We are all pretty much the same. We we feel the same things. We, no matter if we come from a different cultures or what have you, we are all generally just to have the same type of feelings and thoughts and and cares. And I really found out that day that uh, a smile will really take you a long way. You don't have to have to know every language to be able to travel. You can, your smile will get you through more than you could possibly imagine. Yeah. Arm yourself with a smile and you're probably going to carry yourself through just fine. It was, it was amazing. Yeah. It's something I still do. You know, I, I'm just lucky that I, I do know some Spanish, so it's kind of helping me here, but there's lots of places I didn't, you know, I, uh, communication was a little bit more tougher for sure. 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 Well, you're a fairly modest guy, but I want to at least have you tell people where they can follow you and see what it is you're doing and what the, the next steps and, and next direction you're taking is. So where should they go to, to see where the Starving Cyclist is heading? Well, you can Google the Starving Cyclist, and I'm pretty much easy to find when you Google me. But I do have a blog called The Starving Cyclist uh, at Blogspot. Um, and I'm on Twitter and I'm on Facebook with the same name and, um, yeah. And I, I'm kind of trying to get a better update. I have a new GPS that shows, um, my exact route that I'm on now and it will show my elevation gain, my mileage and the temperature of the day. So it really, it really gives, uh, uh, people a good chance to be able to uh, follow me along. And it really has made it much easier for me to share as well. So, yeah, check me out on uh, the Starving Cyclist at Blogspot. All right. Very well. Well, as usual, I'll get the all that stuff put in our show notes. So if anybody's having a hard time finding you, and I don't think they will, but they can always go visit AdventureSportsPodcast.com and find all your links there as well. Great. All right, man. I'm going to put you on the spot here. Did Uh-oh. you come up with a funny story, something that uh, will make us well, chuckle before I, we sign off? You know, I don't know how funny this is, but the deal is, is I – I do remember when the, when it happened that everyone was laughing except for me. <laughs> <laughs> Those are the best. <laughs> so that that might it was funny to them, but I was just a little bit embarrassed. But I was in Guatemala, and in Central America, it's always best not to be flashing your cash around or not have your most expensive watch on or or what have you. You know, you take certain precautions just to kind of uh, be smart as you can, and you know. Uh, you know, uh, store your money properly. And so I'm in Antigua, 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 which is just an incredible city in Guatemala. It's surrounded by three volcanoes, one which is active, and it's all Maya, uh, India uh, natives that, uh, that visit and sell their wares in Antigua, just an incredible city. And so I walk into the store and I um, I'm getting something to drink or, you know, kind of snacks and what have you. And so I have this money belt that's wrapped around my waist. I think it's very common. Most people know what a money belt is, a flat little little pocket that you keep in a pouch. And so, you know, I take all the great precautions and I stuff. I have all my bills in there and I have them sequenced so I don't have to dig through my bills and, you know, rummage through and, you know, flash all my cash just to make a purchase. So, 
I walk into the store and I, I think that I'm all ready and I'm all Joe Traveler and I'm all, you know, keeping my stuff hidden. So as soon as I go to reach for my money, it was like straight out of a movie where all the money in my in the little elastic belt sprung out of the pocket and it popped in the air in front of me. And it was like I had all single bills and it just went spread all across the center of the store. <laughs> so I had like, I don't know, 20, 30 bills floating in the air, laying at my feet. And by the, I guess by the look on my face that everybody in the store was just howling. They, they were just on their on their hands laughing so hard and uh so that's my funny story there <laughs> it was just an incredible embarrassing that i thought this i was some seasoned traveler and i hear i just dumped all my cash into the middle of the store and that's and so, awesome so they, they didn't come they didn't come uh ambush you because you turned on the money machine where you're supposed to grab all the dollar bills you can i, I think they minutes. were embarrassed for me they just kind of turned their back and just <laughs> Let me try to save face. And I don't even remember. I think after picking up my money, I didn't even purchase anything. I just kind of ran out of the store. <laughs> That's awesome. That's perfect. No, perfect modest story. I like it. Well, Greg, man, thanks so much for, for coming on. Thank and, you, and Travis. And uh, your adventures. Man. It, it, it really is inspiring. It makes me want to get out there and, and on a bicycle and, and see the world at the, the speed of a bicycle and slow down a little bit. I think there's a, a, a lot to be said for that. Well, you definitely can, because if I can, you can, and, and, and so really can anybody else. And if anybody needs any kind of uh, advice or any kind of uh, any, have any questions for me as well, uh, don't be afraid to contact me at all, and um, I'll be more than happy to uh, share whatever I can to help. Oh, that's great. I appreciate that. Well, cool, man. We'll enjoy South America for us, and uh, we'll live vicariously through you for the moment. Awesome. Thank you very much. All right. Have a good evening, Greg. You too. Take care. Good night. Thanks for listening to the Adventure Sports Podcast. Be sure to swing by iTunes and Stitcher to subscribe there so you can hear all of their episodes as they become available. And don't forget to share the Adventure Sports Podcast with your friends and family on Twitter and Facebook. Everybody deserves a little adventure in their ears. 